Church, do you ever think what we do tonight is a little foretaste of what we'll get to do in heaven, right? I know there's more than just singing to heaven. I think, honestly, when we get there, I think we'll have jobs. We gave Adam and Eve a job in the garden, didn't they? And I think there will be some things much more like this than we can imagine it to be, but also better, more beautiful. But the point of that last song, really, there's 10,000 reasons, right, that we could think of to bless His name and to sing out praise to Him. And I like that, that last verse that says, you know, at the end, when my time is near, my strength is gone, I'm still going to praise Him forevermore. Isn't that the beautiful part of that song? That for all eternity, we get to continue to find those 10,000 reasons to praise Jesus for. And so I'm thankful for that tonight as we come into our time of worship. With that being said, we're in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to start reading tonight in verse 17. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they have become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught him in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. And all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. So this is the word of God that we're going to be studying tonight. And we take a look at this. You get in verses 17 and 18. And let me just kind of recap maybe what we talked about last week just a little bit. And I know some of you weren't here last Sunday night. But he is essentially, God has given gifts to the church. He's given the apostles and the prophets from which we really get the word of God. He gave us pastors and teachers and evangelists. And so that the church is being built up. So that as we mature, we don't just remain an old it's not like he just builds a church and he just put up the framework and the walls and left it there. No, he's finishing the church and he's building it up. And because of that, we're not to be children any longer. We're not to be tossed by all the waves of doctrine, all the philosophies of man that we hear. And every time somebody says, I've got this new idea about Christianity, we don't always listen to that because we know I can go back into the word and see what it says. We talked about a lot about that last week. We're growing up into him. So in this week, he says this in verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. We get into some very practical sections, okay? And if you recall, the first three chapters of Ephesians are more, uh, here's the gospel. He's presenting the big picture. This is our salvation. And it gives us all the motivation so that when we get into chapters 4, 5, and 6, like we are right now, and we get these practical reasons, it grounds us. Why do we do it? Well, because He, is, he has wonders, wondrously saved us and rescued us and given us His grace. 
and His mercy. And because of that, we now have this, this uh, sense of let's obey Him, let's follow the Lord. So we find ourselves in verse 17 and 18. We see this about the Gentiles. Uh, well, let me say this. He said, so here's, let me sum this up in verses 17 and 18. He's saying, don't live like those who do not know God. That's as simple as he can get. In other words, he's saying, you know better, so act like it. Now, how many of you ever said that to your kids? You knew better. Why'd you do that? You know better, act like it. How many of you ever said that to yourself or had it said to you? Right? Because we've all been there. We've all had things, moments where we go, I knew better, I knew I shouldn't have done it, and I did it anyway. And we get a lot of regrets in life that way sometimes. But all of us need to hear it sometimes. And so I'm telling you tonight as Christians, the hard part of this is you don't live like those who don't know God. Don't live like the world. That's what this message is telling us. Verse 17 again, they don't walk as the Gentiles walk. And it says they walk in the futility of their their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Now that's a pretty hard truth, isn't it? That's some hard stuff that the Apostle Paul just wrote down under the inspiration of the Spirit so that it would be God's Word for us. And so we hear it, and we want to understand, what what does he mean here? They don't know God. They do not understand spiritual truth. You know why? Because it takes the Holy Spirit to understand those things. Now, I will say this. As we look at this and we think about these Gentiles walking in this way in the futility of their mind and darken their understanding. Do you know there's no one on this planet that's without excuse according to the scripture? That we might be ignorant in our own way and they may not have had someone come and explain the gospel to them yet. Maybe they don't understand it. You know, you can grow up right here in Forest Heights and not know the gospel. That's perfectly something capable of being done. I know it because I lived next to a church and I didn't know the gospel till I was 16. Didn't go to church, didn't know it, thought I understood what Christians believed, but I didn't. I thought it was just about being a good person. But the, the simple fact is I hadn't walked across that field to ask them the truth. And people don't do that. And so they live with their understanding is darkened. But let me say this again, that there's no one in this world without excuse that The Gentiles are lacking in knowledge, but what they tend to do is they turn to worship idols instead of the creator of the universe. Consider Romans chapter 1, verses 20 and 24. It says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, talking about God, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity, so their bodies would be dishonored among them. The Gentiles are ignorant. They don't know the truth. But they're, not count, they're still counted as not having an excuse. We would call this natural revelation, perhaps, in theological terms. That is, we look at the universe. We look at the world around us. And sometimes we're in awe of it. 
You go outside in a place where it's dark enough to actually really stop and see the stars. And it's a little overwhelming, isn't it? And he says, you see some of this and we learn some of the attributes of God. We learn a little bit about him enough so that we should be praising a creator. But we're not. And in general, the world tends to make idols of something. They will find something to worship. Last week, we talked about secular humanism, talked a little bit about paganism. Uh, we talked about how that is paganism's on the rise. I mentioned that Asheville, North Carolina is the pagan capital of the world right now. And so you begin to consider all these things and realize, listen, they're futile in their way of thinking. And God said their hearts became hardened and because they did not give thanks, and so they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Listen, the Gentiles are ignorant. They don't have the knowledge of the truth. You do, so let's act like people who know better. In verse 18, it says that they not only have this not lack of knowledge and their understanding is darkened, and it talks about their ignorance, but then at the end, it talks about them having a heart problem. Look at the end of verse 18. It says, because of the hardness of their heart, they have become callous, having given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Church, sin is harmful. We know that. It always works death in us. We know what callous means, right? How many of you have ever had a callous? Somebody tell me, where'd you get it? Hard work. I heard somebody say work. Get them on your hands, maybe. Any of you ever been a runner? You start getting them in weird places on your feet. If you something, Anything that we have repetitive motion, repetitive action, we can begin to get calluses. You know why that is? Because those actions are painful to your body. They're harmful to your body as you repeat this process over and over and over again. And so your body, as you do this, begins to react by piling up a bunch of cells right there. And they're dead. They don't feel anything, right? Once you get those calluses, you can go about your business and do whatever this task is, and you don't hurt the way you did when you first started. Any of you play the guitar? I always convinced myself that I was going to learn, and um, I got a guitar right at the end of college. I thought, see, I have some free time, right? And then after that, I didn't have any free time anymore, and I never learned. But every now and then, I'll decide I'm going to learn how to play the guitar. And I start playing, and after a couple minutes, my fingers are killing me because those strings hurt. But, you know, if you stick to it for just a couple weeks, it doesn't hurt anymore because those calluses build up. And that's about when I quit and the calluses go away, and next time I start, I have to do it again. So that's not what I'm recommending, but what we know is repetitive action causes pain or harm to our body, and it leads our body to build up those calluses, to make them hard. Church, sin harms your soul in the same way. And your body, your soul, and your heart begins to react against that sin and say, how can I protect myself from that? And what we end up with are calloused, hardened hearts. Our heart recoils in pain and we begin to harden ourselves towards it. That's the, the result is that we become desensitized to sin. We go along sinning unaware of how it is working death in us. Isn't that how sin works? The first time you commit a sin, you think, 
or whatever it may be, you think, oh, that's, that's not good. Shouldn't have done that. But then over time, it gets easier and easier. How many, you think about the, the major criminals you see out there. How many of them started out thinking, you know what? I want to be a, a bank robber. They didn't. It was something little. It was always something little, and it builds up and builds up and builds up. Sin is deceitful in that way. When we come to faith, when we gave our life to Christ and He made us into a new creature, the Scripture says He takes out the heart of stone that you have, the calloused, hardened heart that is desensitized to sin. He takes it out and He gives you a heart of flesh. In other words, He makes it where you can feel that sin and that pain again because He wants you to know it and flee from it. Why? Because sin is not beneficial to us. It always works death in us. So he does this, and in, in we have this new life, but sin in the life of the believer still has consequences and brings real harm, doesn't it? Now, I could go sin and say, well, Christ has forgiven me. Well, that may be true, but does that mean that the consequences of those sins are gone? In a lot of ways, it doesn't. And what we find in the lives of believers, where do you see those consequences? Well, broken relationships with one another. We see this broken relationship with God. You know, we've, look, we've looked at several passages last week that talked about your prayers being hindered because of the sin in your life. That it affects your relationship with Him. And yes, you might be His child, you might be saved, but God disciplines those He loves, doesn't He? He continues to work. And it said, for instance, I'll give you an example. We were talking in 1 Peter chapter 3. When he's talking about the relationship between husband and wives, if the husband's abusing that relationship and not leading his wife the way he is supposed to, it says, your prayers will be hindered. There's a real problem with sin. All, beyond that, we miss out on the blessings of God because of the sins that we commit. So even though God has taken out that heart of stone that we all had, just like the lost still do today, and He's given us a heart of flesh, what I want us to understand is we still need to run from sin. So don't be ignorant of the harm of sin. John Owen says this in his book, he, it's a book called The Mortification of Sin. Mortification just means the putting to death of sin. And he says this, he asks this question, do you mortify, do you put to death the sin in your body? And then he says this, he says, do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's a strong word, isn't it? Either we are actively putting sin off or it is actively at work in us. And so I, the gospel, we are saved. We are motivated by what he has done for us. And he wants what's best for us. And so sometimes we have to see this isn't a duty. This isn't, God, I, I, just got, I can't believe you're asking me to give up this sin that I want so desperately. That's not what this is. This is, God, I love you. You've miraculously saved me. I want to run to you and run away from that junk that I know is doing harm to me and my relationship with you and to other believers. 
I believe in the eternal security of the believer. Uh, often in our circles, we talk about once saved, always saved, or perseverance of the saints. Nevertheless, the, the scripture does tell us to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. And so I believe that we're saved, we're justified by faith and by faith alone. So I'm not saying that with every little sin we find in our lives, we should begin to doubt our salvation. That's not what this is about. But here's what I do do, okay? Because people will come and they'll say, you know, I've got a family member and they got saved when they were uh, 10 years old and they got baptized in the church and they haven't been to church in 30 years. And I've been wondering, are, are they Christians? And I begin to ask sometimes questions. Well, tell me about their lives. Tell me about the fruit of their lives. Do you see that there's a desire, that there's conviction of sin? And I think that's a big one. Do you feel it when you sin? Do you repent of it or do you grieve over it? And uh, my point isn't for me to try to get you to doubt your salvation tonight. But I ask people all the time, do, do they still feel the hurt of sin? Do they desire to obey God? You see, because God disciplines those he loves. And I believe that the work of the Spirit will continue to convict us of sin and righteousness until the day we're home with Jesus. Because the whole point of this is the Spirit is sanctifying us, conforming us to the image of Christ, making us look more, us look more like Jesus until the day we get there when He finally glorifies this body and we put off the sin finally and once and for all. And so that day is coming, but for now, we still wrestle with sin. So if you aren't convicted by sin... Today's a good day to repent and come to him in prayer and say, God, my heart has become calloused and I need you to show me my sin and forgive me. So that's not how this works for Christians. In verse 20, it says, you did not learn Christ in this way. In other words, you know you're not supposed to go with every kind of impurity and greediness and give yourself to sensuality like the Gentiles are doing. We're not supposed to just live for the pleasures of the flesh. It's not about us. It's not about, hey, I just want what I want in life. And uh, this might, don't, don't get upset by this, but think about the American dream. I make myself something. I can do whatever I want to do if I just try hard enough. I get that house with the white picket fence. I have my 2.3 kids or whatever the number is these days. And at the end, that means I've arrived, right? A lot, of times, well, a lot of times, what we find in the pursuit of those things are a bunch of idols and a bunch of sin and a bunch of me. Those things in themselves aren't bad, are they? Hey, I think we should work hard. I think the Scripture teaches us to work hard, be the best citizens we can be, be the best workers we can be. Let's do everything we do as though we're serving the Lord. But... The scripture also says, seek me first, seek my kingdom first, and those things will get added to you, right? And so I think that's the principle that we need to come back to here. But I want you to look at verse 20. You did not learn Christ in this way. Verse 21, if indeed you have heard of him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of self, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you put 
that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What we find here is this principle. Lay aside the old self. Put off the old sinful man and its desires. And put on the new. Recognize that you are now a new creature, created in Christ, filled with the Spirit. You live with a different purpose. And one of the things I love about this idea is this, it really is the idea of just taking off the old man. It's the, the same language you would use for taking off your old, dirty, soiled clothes. Been out cutting the grass or something in this humidity. You get the dust and the, all the stuff and you get inside and you just got to get that stuff off. And it's hard to pull the clothes off because you got so much sweat, isn't it? Can you imagine just coming in like that and going, I'm just going to bed, you know, and laying down in your bed? You don't do it, do you? You come in and you take that stuff off. This is giving us the same idea. Now, let's finish that analogy out, though. You don't just leave your clothes off. In this text, you put new ones on. It's take off the old and put on the new. And there's multiple places in Scripture where we find this analogy, and we find lists. Well, you know what? You put off lying and you put on truth. You put off anger and you put on kindness. There's always, they always go back and forth. You can't just say, well, I'm not going to sin anymore. Right? You can't just say, well, I'm not going to be angry. Well, if you're not going to be angry, guess what? That means you've got to put on the new, which is kindness. We've got to recognize that that principle goes through all of Scripture. Next week, as we get uh, farther into this, we're going to deal uh, just with the principle of anger next week we're going to come back and look at this and say what does it mean to put off anger and put something else on put something else better in its place by the way that's that goes with a lot of counseling programs if you begin to read about this stuff they always say you can't just it's not enough just to say i'm not going to do it anymore you got to replace the old habits with new habits that's important and god teaches us that in his word Again, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, to let God renew you as you study his word, as you pray to him, as you gather together with his people and worship. He renews the spirit of our mind. He says, put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then you see an example of this in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor for we are members of one another. You guys see how that works in the text? Don't just It's not just don't lie. Don't lie. No, it's put on truth. Speak truth to one another. And that's a difference. There's a distinction being made there that we would learn that idea. Our old self was characterized by sin, deceitful lust. Sin convinces us that what we want is for our good and our pleasure, but we know it isn't. Sin kills, it brings harm. We begin to put on this new man as new creatures. We're shaped and molded into the image of God. Instead of sin, our new self is created with righteousness and holiness. I think we forget sometimes that in sanctification it does say you're being, not only were you created in the image of God, you're being restored to the image of God. That is, 
we're marred. We don't see things quite the way that they really are. We have these sinful habits that kind of hang on. But again, the scripture tells us that we are being conformed into the image of Christ, molded to be more like him. And I think we just forget that. And I think we forget that that's part of who we are and part of the goal of the Christian life, that we do pursue righteousness and holiness. Notice in verse 23, it did say also that we need to be renewed in our mind. We retrain our mind. How do we do that? How do we begin to think differently? One, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is active in doing that within us, and I want you to know that. Number two, come to church. You want to renew your mind? Come to church. Be faithful to to show up. Be faithful to gather together for worship, for prayer, for fellowship. Share in the Lord's Supper. It's a means of grace to us. It's a primary way for us to be renewed, isn't it? That all those things are just part of the way God has designed his church to work, that we would be renewed in grace. Read the scriptures. Read the Bible. Read it, understand it, train your mind to think according to the scriptures. You know, I, as we were missionaries, and we'd come back and we'd speak, I've been in a lot of churches, and I've been in a lot of Sunday school classes. And there's a lot of times where I am shocked by the fact that we don't know how to read the scriptures. Here's what I mean. We might read a verse, just one verse. And we begin to ask questions. Well, what does that mean to you? What does that mean to you? And they, you know, you start hearing things like that and you begin to ask questions like, well, I mean, I'm glad that's what it means to you, but is that what it actually means? We have to train ourselves if we want to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. If we want to renew our minds, the scripture also says we have to take, take every thought captive. That we're actively seeking to train ourselves to think the way God has uh, taught us to think. And then lastly, just pray. You want to renew your mind? Pray. Ask God to reveal sin. Ask Him to help you put on righteousness. Talk to Him. Get to know Him. Only His power. In His power can we really renew our minds. And so we come out of this with this put-off principle. And we begin to teach ourselves. Again, it's not enough to say that you're going to put off sin or bad behavior you actively have to replace that bad behavior with its good counterpart. We can't study this today. I'll give you two passages. You can write these down if you want to study them later on your own. One is Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15, that gives you a very similar list to this. It gives you actions to put off and a separate list to actively put on. Second, write down Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. That passage lists the deeds of the flesh and contrasts them with the fruit of the Spirit. You can still see the person in their flesh does these things, are characterized by these things. The person is controlled by the Spirit or characterized by these. And there's distinctions there. So if you didn't get that, that was Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 15, and Galatians chapter 5, verses 17 through 26. Study those passages this week. Read through it this afternoon, maybe, when you get home. See how they work. What sins are you struggling with? And are there new things that maybe you've just neglected to put on? You don't want to show up at the store and realize you don't have on any shoes. It's kind of gross. Last night we had um, uh, Isabel and Shane came over to our house. And we had them over for dinner, and 
she was saying somebody came into her workplace. I won't name it on here, but they came in with no shoes or anything. And I don't know how you want to go into a restaurant with no shoes these days, but in your spiritual life, there's some things you just need to put on, isn't there? And if you read those lists, you'll make sure you have it on next time you're ready. Next time you go, you'll make sure you have those things prepared. This week, our example for this is, again, it was found in chapter 4, verse 25. Lay aside falsehood, put aside dishonesty and lying. Put on speaking the truth. Lies and dishonesty, no matter how innocent-seeming they are, they do us harm. Those little white lies begin to build up, don't they? And we convince ourselves, well, there's no harm in this. And we used to argue with some of our, some of my Turkish brothers about this kind of stuff because they just, they had, part of their culture is they just didn't want to offend anybody. Part of who they are is in their DNA. And they would just slap, lie to you if they thought it would hurt your feelings. So, um, you know, and they just come up with all sorts of excuses and, you know, they couldn't make it to a prayer meeting one night. So, you know, hey, Pastor, my grandmother died. All right. It's kind of like being, it's like kids making excuses for their homework, right? You know, a few months later, Pastor, my grandmother died. The third time, I'm starting to ask them, Sir, how many grandmothers do you have? I mean, it's okay to just say I couldn't make it tonight. It's, I'm not going to be upset with you. You know, you don't miss that often. It's okay. Sometimes life happens, right? Sometimes you just have to miss. It's okay. But we need to be careful with the lies that we tell. Dishonesty can wreak havoc in your life. It can wreak havoc in your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It can ruin lives. It damages the church. Dishonesty goes against the very character and nature of God because He is truth. He doesn't change his mind. He always keeps his promises. And if we're supposed to be like him, guess what? Lying is always morally wrong. It's always a sin. It always works death in us. So put on truth. Be honest with one another. Don't manipulate the facts to make yourself look better. You know, that's a subtle way of lying, isn't it? Let me just tell the story a little bit different way to make me look a little bit better, right? That's easy to do, isn't it? It's very easy to do. And so don't we have to be careful not to do that, to exalt ourselves by changing the story. Don't lie to get what you want. The Gentiles do that. The lost do that. I, I can imagine these days, I've heard people talk about this. If I, I can't imagine what it would be like to hire somebody at a secular job because you can lie so much on these electronic resumes, right? It's rampant. I mean, everybody knows that people are lying. All it takes is a little bit of investigating, but most people aren't bothering to do that investigation. They're not bothering to look. And so what you find is people can lie and lie and lie and lie and think they get away with it. The Gentiles do it all the time. The lost do it. But you are not ignorant. What that means is we know better, and we should be careful to follow the Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of Christ. Again, this week, as you, as you study the Scripture, I encourage you to read those two passages I, I read out earlier that I 
just go back and read them and see what those lists say. Next week, we're going to look at uh, this passage, be angry, but do not sin. We're going to get into what that means. And I think it'll be a very helpful study. But it's always funny how much of the sin always comes back to me. What I want. The self. That old calloused heart again. Even though I know spiritually he has made me righteous, I fight it. But we've got to actively put off the old and put on the new. Let's pray together. Father, tonight as we come into this time of invitation, you know our hearts. Father, if any of us need to confess sin to you, oh God, I pray that we would do it right now. I pray as we sing this song, God, we would tell you the sins of our heart, the things that keep us from you. Father, I pray that you would also renew us in the spirit of our mind, even now. Father, help us as we read the scripture and seek to follow it. God, I pray for your blessings on everybody that's here. God, if there's anybody here that, that does not know you, God, I pray that today, this day, they would come and place their faith in you and be saved. God, I pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.